1: Nick DiGilio here, that's me, and it's the Nick DiGilio Podcast, episode number 213, it's a Tuesday, I hope everybody had a lovely weekend, early in the week, in the work week, getting things going here, Uh, in in the doldrums of January, oh boy, Uh, welcome, my name is Nick DiGilio, I am your host, this is a pop culture review podcast with great regular guests and fun topics, and Room for you to jump in here anytime you want. You know, we have a 24-hour voicemail system that's set up specifically for you. Anytime you want to say anything at any time. Compliments or uh, suggestions or, you know, contributions. Anything you want to say, we want to hear from you. Voicemail us. 773-417-6948. Call us anytime you want. Drop us an email at nickdpodcast at gmail.com. Also, if you want to be a sponsor for this wonderful podcast, Please advertise with us. Lots of people listen to this podcast. So say, hey, I want to advertise. Write us, sales at radiomisfits.com. Episode 213 here of the Nick D podcast. We are the Radio Misfits Podcast Network, the greatest podcast network in the world. We have a ton of amazing podcasts uh, in varied styles and that are informative and funny and scary and cool and... Just amazing, with amazing unheard bands, unheard, uh, unsigned bands. You can hear that. We have a 24-hour streaming service that's free. It's just like radio, only a lot cooler. And it's 24-7, program 24-7, radiomisfits.live. Where you can hear amazing music, incredible episodes of the podcast. It's available here at radio misfits. You can hear my podcast, my two podcasts. You can hear this one every day at 3 p.m. Central broadcast. And you can hear my SNL podcast, which is called That Show Hasn't Been Funny in Years, all about Saturday Night Live. You can hear that every day at 9 a.m. Central and uh, as part of the 24-hour free, amazing, only radio-only better uh, programming available at RadioMisfits.Live. Today on the podcast, I will be welcoming my good friend Dan Feinberg, who regularly joins us every other week to talk about television. There's always a lot of television because of the millions of streaming services and cable channels and TV channels and all the ways that you can consume tons of programs and miniseries and short series and all that stuff. There's a ton of it. And Dan is the best TV critic in the world. He writes for The Hollywood Reporter, and he has a website called The Fine Print, F-I-E-N. He also has a fantastic podcast, Lots of TV stuff to talk about, as there always is. The Emmys were handed out. A couple of really great shows had their final uh, finales, uh, episodes coming up, and some new things to talk about as well. Always a lot of great TV to talk about with the amazing Dan Feinberg. That's coming up. And my partner in crime, the lovely Esmeralda Leon, is going to be joining me. She regularly visits. We talk about a bunch of really cool stuff. Uh, Today we're going to jump into the world of witty retorts. You know, when someone says something kind of dumb to you or says something in a smart-ass kind of way and you come back with a witty retort and put them in their place? Well, we have examples of great, 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 Witty retorts that have really, like, demolished the other person. Trying to be a smartass, boom, you got shot down with a witty retort. So we're going to talk about great witty retorts. And the taste tests of weird snacks and wonderful worldwide candies continues. Uh, We are now uh, getting packages from a really wonderful website called Universal Yums. My friend Deanna, who is a subscriber listener, hooked us up, and we get a monthly package now. Esmeralda gets one, and I get one, from a really great website called Universal Yums, where they give you a package every month from a different country where you get examples in real snacks. So you'll get like chips and savory stuff and sweet stuff and candies and all kinds of really cool stuff from different parts of the country or different parts of the world. And Esmeralda has been taste testing some stuff from Spain. So Esmeralda will taste test the rest of the Spain products. uh, And then uh, we'll give you a preview of what we're going to be starting to taste test on the next episode, on episode 214. So that's what's coming up. The great Dan Feinberg, the wonderful Esmeralda Leon, and of course, this lovely lady. Hi,
2: I'm Carrie Russell, and I love Nick's show.
1: I know you do, baby. Hi, I I'm
2: Carrie Russell, yep. and I love Nick's show.
1: Uh, was on the Emmys, did not win an Emmy, but should have. I love you, Carrie. Hi, I know that. Yes, Russell, I understand. I yes. okay. love Nick's so show. So we are going to talk TV with Dan Feinberg. We are going to taste test some snacks from Spain and talk about witty retorts and much more with Esmeralda Leon. And you are going to listen, and you are going to love it. And again, if you want to be a part of uh, the podcast, uh, just uh, email us at nickdpodcast at gmail.com or uh, leave a voicemail at 773-417-6948 right here on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network where the Nick D Podcast uh, episode number 213 is underway. Dan Feinberg joins us after I congratulate you on being congratulated because you need to be congratulated and congratulations. That's what I'm saying.
0: Congratulations. You're about to listen to the Nick D Podcast. It's by far the best decision you've made today. It makes the other podcasts seem like crap. Oh yeah, don't be a jaggolf. a somewhere else Dan
1: Feinberg that's right that somewhere else of course is LA I never asked this before but do you when you write for the Hollywood reporter Dan do you do you have to live in Hollywood is that uh, is that a prerequisite (laughs) No Nick it is not. I okay. live in Bre- I live in
0: Brentwood which is an inconvenient 45 minute drive to Hollywood most ah. days. Sometimes closer to an hour to an hour and a half. So Brentwood no, it is. Oh, that, that's a very I popular. Mean, uh, I was going to say whole...
1: po- posh Brentwood to be Pro- sure.
0: Posh Brentwood,
1: yeah. It was very popular in the mid 90s, wasn't it?
0: I'm certainly, that was where uh, <laughs> Nicole Brown Simpson yeah. ceased to live. So, yeah, okay. Yes.
1: All right. Well, there you go. That's a great way to kick off the interview. Nick, talk about the OJ murders. Okay, cool. Uh, Dan Feinberg writes for The Hollywood Reporter. He's a TV critic. has been a part of uh, my world for, jeez, what is it, like almost 20 years now, Dan? It's been a long time, Nick. Been a long time. We you were, we were for... all much younger back in the day. Much younger and smarter and whatever. But we were... Uh, you were writing, I think when we first, when you start, first started doing regular segments on my show back at WGN, you were on HitFix. Uh, was it? Yeah, I think. Well, let's see. Okay. So if it was HitFix, then that,
0: then that means quote unquote, it was only 15 years ago, give okay. or take that we you okay. know, first started chatting. If I was, if I was still potentially at zap to it which is always possible, oh, no. but Yes,
1: it, you were. Yes, okay. Yes, you were. Okay. All right. So there, yeah, you know, it long, was apt to it. Long I just time. remember. I remember HitFix because I, I always thought that HitFix was a was a was an interesting and fun name for <laughs> to, you know to be accredited to. Dan that Feinberg
0: is Feinberg from HitFix. That is a fine description of what yeah. HitFix was as a name.
1: Yeah. May yeah. May it rest in peace. May it rest in peace. Well, you're with the Hollywood Reporter now. Exactly. Of course you have your own website, blog, and all that cool stuff. The fine print. F I E N. The fine print. Because that's the way you spell Feinberg. F I E N. And you talk TV and everything about it and uh, join us a couple of times a month and always have a blast. And there's always plenty of TV to talk about. Before we do that, tell everybody about TV's Top 5, which is a fantastic podcast that you co-host.
0: We like to think it's a fantastic podcast. It is The Hollywood Reporter's TV podcast. I host it with my colleague Leslie Goldberg, who is a spectacular reporter for The Hollywood Reporter. That's mm-hmm. kind of fitting, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Uh, she also, though, does not live in Hollywood, so she's actually oh. <laughs> more of the she's actually more of the Burbank reporter. Oh so, no, really? Wow, know. very cool. There's, basically, there's there's no truth whatsoever to the name the Hollywood Reporter, none whatsoever. <laughs>
1: but. Unlike unlike Fix, which was right on the oh, money,
0: oh, totally, totally accurate in all <laughs> things, and and I could not begin to explain what the logic of it was supposed to be. But right. uh, <laughs> but whatever. Uh, so anyway, yes, uh, TV's top five with the number five. It comes out every Friday and we talk about the week's uh, headlines, we talk about what's big in the world of television, we do regular interviews, sometimes with showrunners, sometimes with our colleagues at The Hollywood Reporter, whether or not they live in Hollywood or are actually reporters. Uh, This past week we had... Rolling Stone chief TV critic Alan Sepinwall on the podcast, and we talked about the finales of Fargo, The Curse, and For All Mankind. Mm-hmm. I assume we're going to talk about one or two of those potentially two of those in for this sure. conversation. Yes, Excellent, two for sure. Yes. Um, and yeah. So it comes out every
1: uh, every Friday wherever you get your podcast. TV's top five, the numeral five. Make sure you check it out because it's terrific. And uh, all of this stuff is is hooked up and linked up at uh, the Home Center. The Dan Feinberg Home Center. I don't know why I just called it that, but that's what I'm going to call it from now on. The Fine Print, F-I-E-N. This is a great way to get all of that stuff. Okay, uh, terrific. Before we get into a couple of very interesting finales, as you mentioned, or a few very interesting finales, which we will get to, and some new stuff and some of the reviews that you've been doing uh, for The Hollywood Reporter, uh, the award season is uh, uh, you know, really kicking off. It's in full force right now. Uh, we did have the Golden Globes, uh, um, you know, a couple of weeks ago. And uh, the, as we tape, as we record this, sorry that we're not actually live. Um, it is, in fact, not a Tuesday. It is, in fact, a Monday uh, afternoon slash evening here in Chicago. Um, and uh, the Oscar nominations will be announced in roughly 12 hours. And, uh, and I will be up uh, watching the live feed. One, because I always do it every year, but two, because Ozzy Beats is one of the people. Who is announcing the nominees? And that's enough for me to get up very early in the morning. Is just to see Zazie beats. With whom is she announcing? Uh, Jack Quaid, Janice Quaid's kid, Jack Quaid. Okay, Quay? yeah, sure. Why not? So they are the they are the uh, they are announcing the nominees.
0: I guess uh, he I guess he was in to some lesser degree Oppenheimer. So. What, yeah, was he? Because I forgot that movie immediately when I walked out of the theater. I, I so believe I, he was, to some lesser degree, uh, an okay. Oppenheimer, which explains why a TV... Well, I mean, they're
1: both TV stars, whatever. I mean, if a yeah. movie needs to claim them, they can, but yeah. whatever. We all know the truth. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, uh, Zazie Beats is a star of all kinds of proportions oh. in my world. So, uh...
0: <laughs> I, I would like to believe your listeners know that when I refer to somebody as, yeah. t- as a TV oh, yeah. star, I mean that as being that they're a better than a movie yeah. star. <laughs> they're better than a movie star, and they shouldn't be slumming it I on gotcha. the
1: uh, Oscar nominations. Making movies, I understand. I understand. Exactly. But the Oscar nominations will come out um uh, tomorrow, and I will not be surprised by 95% of them. And, and uh... And it clearly is going to be, you know, from from tomorrow morning on, it's going to be a train rolling with the name Oppenheimer on the side, and I could not care less. So, uh, but anyways, Ozzy beats. That's all I'm thinking. I have that. Okay, at least. and maybe
0: there will morning. be one or two pleasant surprises. You you there, never can be. You never yeah. can tell.
1: <laughs> I'm interested in the best actress race at this point, um, because I mean, they could go Lily Gladstone, because I mean, obviously. Or they could give it to the best performance of the year, which is easily Emma Stone in Poor Things. So uh, it'll be, I'm interested in that race. That's the one race that has, you know. Oh, and I guess maybe actor is. Well, no, because Killian Murphy's going to win. I know that. Um, I don't know. I, seriously, I, I don't think it is a foregone conclusion.
0: I think that they could feel like Killian Murphy um, is just not necessarily doing in the same way as that Paul Giamatti. Giamatti. Yeah. And, that, and that basically, either you're going to just give everything to Oppenheimer, which is a, a viable option. Uh, it, it, and I you think know, that option
1: is going to happen, quite frankly.
0: That's... It would not surprise me, but still, if they decided that they wanted to
1: mix things up a tiny bit uh Paul Giamatti could benefit so but but the more interesting and I do think that 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 that's a possibility obviously um but I think the more interesting race is how they go with best actress that'll be it'll be interesting to see how uh, what they where they go on that on that regard oh there are a lot of great performances you you mentioned a few of the good ones you
0: didn't mention uh Sandra Huller who I think is fantastic in Anatomy of a Fall I think she would be entirely worthy so she had a great year great year
1: she did. She had a fantastic year. And I'm, I'm although not a big fan of Anatomy of a Fall. Oh, I, liked, I, I,
0: I, I liked it a lot.
1: I, I had issues with, uh, there's a moment in the movie where, they, where the director decides not to share or possibly shouldn't have shared information. Uh, and I went, where are you going with this? What's going on? You cheating here? I think you're cheating. And I don't like it. So I got a little angry about, uh, but I mean, it's a good film. I don't think it's as great as everybody else's. It's certainly worth seeing. And she's tremendous in it. And so is the prosecuting attorney. The, Whoever the he, hell that dude
0: is, and I thought that the I thought the kid was fantastic, and then oh yeah, everyone, the kid was good, yeah, the kid was, and
1: good. then everyone also raising raving about the dog, you know, well, so. well yeah, sure. the dog vomiting on cue and all that stuff, so that was that was pretty, yeah. I just had I got angry during that moment in the movie when the, when you know the director was like hey, I am gonna not share this or or I'm gonna share it that I didn't, but I'm inconsistent in my storytelling right now It's pissing <laughs> off Nick. So uh, huh. anyway. Anyway, uh, yeah, that one, and I also wasn't like, everybody's been going nuts over that, and everybody's, you know, all my, you know, the movie colleagues of mine, they're all, like, insane. They look at my list, and there's no anatomy of a fall on it anywhere, and there's no zone of interest, and everybody's like, what the hell is wrong with you, Nick? And I'm like, sorry.
0: <laughs> I, I have not seen Zone of Interest yet, but I am at some point, quote-unquote, looking forward to it. I don't know if it's a yeah. movie that one looks forward to well, seeing. Well, no, no. But...
2: <laughs> You know, yeah.
0: can't, can't
1: yeah. wait. Yeah, it's not like, hey, it's a Saturday night. Let's bust out some entertainment. It's it, That's not going to fit the bill on that regard. So, But anyway, so the Oscar nominations uh, are announced uh, tomorrow. And, of course, you know, since we've spoken, the Emmy uh, broadcast has happened. And uh, I got to say, I had a great time watching the Emmys this year. Um, I really did. And there were, you know, there were things about the broadcast that I thought, like every awards broadcast, I had some issues with. I didn't think it was perfect. But for the most part... I enjoyed it. I liked Anthony Anderson. I didn't think that every bit worked. Um, all the winners were, you know, I knew who the winners were going to be before the show started. It's going to be like the Oscars. Everything is going to go Oppenheimer, and at the Emmys, everything went uh, beef. Beef, well, beef, yes, but I keep calling beef bear. The beef, you know how it goes. they it's uh, it's
0: basically the same thing for the purposes of this conversation. They're they're different shows, yes, but if we're talking yes. if we're talking awards juggernauts, six
1: of one, half dozen of the other, to be sure. Yeah. But it's it was it, it basically all the awards went to uh, in specific categories: beef, the bear, and uh, the succession. Even though bear and succession were both in the wrong, <laughs> both in the wrong category. Uh, but anyway, but it, it you know in terms of winners, not a, not a surprise among them, as far as I was concerned. Were there any surprises? Okay, let's start with that. Were there any uh, Emmy winners that you were genuinely surprised by?
0: There were Emmy winners that I found a tiny bit confusing. And I okay. think that's different. Like, I would say Eben Moss Bacharach winning an Emmy for the Bear didn't surprise me. However, because this Emmy was technically for the first season, that did surprise me. I don't think by any stretch of the imagination oh, he des- right. he deserved the Emmy for the first season of the Bear. I think for the second season, if he'd won, I would have been like, sure, by all means. Uh, uh, but, yeah. I- but I think probably that the voters got a little bit conflating one with the other,
1: not necessarily confused so much as just being like, no, we like it all. Here's this brings up a question because the Emmys were delayed, uh, due to the strike, um, and they were supposed to be handed out in September. Correct. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Did the vote, was the voting done then? The uh, voting was done on the
0: on the regular schedule. They oh, did not okay, change okay. the schedule. So the okay. voting was done at the end of August after the nominations were announced. The 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 awards were in okay. the can. All right. In
1: terms of winners. Okay. Then that, that that kind of like so I was a little curious as to, well, maybe they kept thinking about it for a few months. It was like, yeah, he was so good in the second season.
0: But they let's... still they had just watched the second that's season. That's true. So they knew okay. so they knew when they had the affection. And but you know, it so so that that's the one that That stood out as being not so much shocking, but confusing in the context that it was given. I I wasn't at all surprised by Nisi Nash winning, but I think that goes as sort of the next tier of very, very minor surprises. And then everything else was basically a full conclusion. There was was nothing else. (laughs) Yeah,
1: I agree. I mean, it was, but I will say this, I was very entertained by it. I thought the... You know, um, I watched it while folding clothes and stuff, so it was you know laundry was was being done, and that was kind of the perfect way to do it, I think. And um, and, and and now, so what did you think about the reunions and uh, and 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 some of those things? And and where was Woody Harrelson? Was he high? Was that- uh, well, the first
0: the first thing I need to question is why it takes you three hours to fold your laundry. That's, <laughs> uh, I mean, really and truly, you should have been able to do that in like the first thirty minutes I, of the okay, show and yeah. done other I, things.
1: <laughs> yeah no, it sounds like I was doing the laundry for for an entire uh, hotel uh no no, I mean that was it was among other things we were watching it and chatting and you know it was so it wasn't like we were sitting like having an Emmy party, you know what I mean like we were doing other things, <laughs> and one of which was folding laundry well um, that's al- which so. is always a party in and of itself always so. always uh, um woody so woody is, is,
0: woody, was a, woody, woody harrelson was of course doing American Ulster on the stage in London, which is where oh. which is where I most recently saw him, so uh so, oh well, well, well,
1: first of all, okay, yes, how was it?
0: Oh, okay, I, I, God, I really felt like we talked about this last time I was on it, but totally could have forgotten. No, because we yes, didn't. I saw, I saw, um, Woody Harrelson and uh, and uh, Anthony Circus and uh, Andy, 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 yeah, God, it's really
1: yeah, uh, yeah, <laughs> in America, you saw Gollum, you saw Gollum and, exactly. and King Kong, Gollum uh, and King Kong, yeah.
0: And uh saw them in London um in American Ulster, which is not a very good play. And yeah. he chewed a lot of scenery and uh and yeah, so so it was not it was of the of the five shows that I saw in London when what I was you, there, what else did you see? I saw um David Tennant and Cush Jumbo oh, in Macbeth, which oh, was terrific. Man. That was that was worth the trip, as Hell we yeah. say.
1: Yeah.
0: Wow. Um yeah, that was that was a great production and I entirely bet. And entirely worth it. It was a you know it's it's Macbeth. Macbeth yeah. always has good stuff in it. Darn yeah. good play. Let me let me go <laughs> on. Pretty our limb good. Bear. Yeah,
1: it's pretty good. It's not bad.
0: <laughs> um. So I so saw that. I saw the new play uh, that continues or looks back on uh, Stranger Things. So Stranger Things. Um, I'm just calling it when a stranger calls, but that's not what it is. But it's the, it, at, the, at any
1: point do they do they ask Have you checked the children? At any point? No, no. Because okay. it's, right. it's, it's not because it's because it's not that. It
0: just okay. is something okay. like that. Uh, but yes, I saw okay. the Stranger Things play. Mm-hmm. Um, which was a big production it was it was you know just imp- impressive stagecraft whether it was you know if we're comparing qualities of play Macbeth turns out to have been a better play than the stranger things play um mm, wow you know, okay just again i'm just okay. gonna go out on limbs Shocking. um there was a new production of sondheim specific overtures which i saw which was very good uh, yeah. not a not a musical that gets produced very often it is not yeah and then uh, some uh, Lorca play with Dame Harriet Walter at the National Theatre. So, so five plays, four day, four nights, uh, jam packed, and thus I know exactly where Woody Harrelson was okay. instead Whoa. of being at the
1: Emmys. All right. Well, I enjoy. I'm, I'm glad that we had a, that little diversion. Uh, about uh, about your trip to to London, which is uh, which is great. So that's where Woody Harrelson was. Okay. The the first question I asked you, what did you think of those <laughs> of those uh, of those reunions? Oh, that no, I, I thought I thought it was a very well produced telecast, and yeah.
0: that is something that is not easy to do. We we talked in my last visit about the Golden Globes, which were a wretchedly produced telecast, yeah. and and it is just so easy to see the difference between a telecast in which the only things that were vaguely entertaining were the speeches, basically, the the winners and how they reacted, versus the Emmys, where none of the winners were able to give spontaneous speeches because they'd given the same speech at the Golden Globes, they'd given the same speech at the Critics' Choice Awards the night before. So there was no spontaneity to that. But the producers had ideas on how to make the show work, on how to make uh you know basically i've never seen an award show with that many standing ovations i'm not sure there's ever been an award show with that many standing ovations and they they you know kicked it off with obviously anthony anderson and the choir singing various songs and that was fun but then they had christina applegate and she started the standing ovation cavalcade and then you had carol burnett and you had marla gibbs you had just all of these people uh Dame Joan Collins, who you know man. at ninety years old Jeez, is she looked amazing, ridiculous. Oh, I, oh my I do, God! Do not know how that happens, I, but I don't, I don't either, God man. bless.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and as for the you know the reunions some of them were kind of big and ambitious ideas they actually had a working conveyor belts for the i love lucy homage that was somewhat surprising good for them Uh, and also for they made the entire uh theater black and white for five whole minutes Um, yeah they did i don't know how they did that total total magic Mm -hmm. um but so some of them were actually very ambitious. Others of them, the fun was like, okay, look, it's Catherine Heigl with the various people mm. from Grey's Anatomy. Who knew that was allowed? And, and that was amusing. And then some of the things, I, I, was, I was genuinely surprised by how happy I was to see the group from Ally McBeal, who have no meaning whatsoever to me. Uh, yeah. Out on stage, dancing together and
1: having fun. I was I, like, "Wow, that's great!" <laughs> I was like, "Here's what I was thinking." The intent, because I never watched that show. I it was not my, definitely was not my thing. Um, but when they came out and started doing their thing, I was like, "Where's the baby? I want the weirdo baby!" And and then and then I was like, "Where's the baby?" And uh, it's an award show, and he's going to win. Sporting actor, where's Robert Downey? Why isn't he out there dancing around? So that's what I kept thinking <laughs> while I was watching all that. I wanted the baby and Robert Downey out there, but I'm going to see enough Robert Downey over the next month where I'm going to be sick of him by March.
0: So. You do not need to worry about that. No, um, yeah. <laughs> and, and I've I've said this several times that I I just assumed that Anthony Anderson was going to come out as the dancing baby. And <laughs> well, that may would
1: have made sense considering he was the gimp in
0: uh, in but American
1: I, Horror Story. But you
0: know. I think they I think that either he or the producers said one or the other of right. those two. <laughs> Like you could only go so far, and he simply said, and and somebody again, either Anthony Anderson or the producers said, eh, "Go with the rubber gimp suit. Yeah. That's that's plenty." Oh, and that's the no, comedy. I, You're, you you get butt sweat comedy out of it. You get butt sweat. I completely expected though for Anthony Anderson to come out as the dancing baby, and I was okay. shocked that he didn't. But okay. he was doing other things, mm-hmm. and and I thought he was just a good host. He was yeah. he was a good host in in exactly the opposite of ways from the ways that Joe Coy was a bad host. And Joe Coy did an atrocious monologue and vanished from the show because he set such an awful tone in the room in the first five minutes. Anthony Anderson didn't do a monologue. Yep. And he was in the show the entire time, and every time he came out, people were generally happy to see him, yeah, and he set a absolutely. positive tone for for three freaking hours yeah. which is not
1: easy to do and so i give him a lot of credit I, for that i'm with you 100 i'm a big fan of his i like him i listen i you know i like him all the way back to when he tears up the drive through and harold and kumar that's one of my favorite moments in the entire movie uh but no i'm a big fan what do you think of the bit they did with her with uh with his mom uh how do you think that uh how, how what do you feel about that i didn't love it
0: and and i guess i guess my feeling is that if it had been a normal Emmys and it had been relying on speeches to actually make the show entertaining, I don't like the idea of spending as much time asserting people are going to only get there one minute and then my mom's going to yell at you as they did. But going back again to the fact that mostly people really didn't need that moment in the spotlight. So there were the couple of people who were very emotional because they hadn't won at the Golden Globes and they hadn't won at the Critics' Choice. So you had uh, Quinta Brunson, who was very emotional because she hadn't won at those award shows. So, okay, fine. Good, glad to have her have that moment. Niecy Nash hadn't won at those shows. Mm -hmm. Good, glad she had those moments. RuPaul hadn't won at those shows. So RuPaul had a good speech but for the most part it was it was you know try to find a way to get something spontaneous out of the, your third awards show speech in 8 days so you had you had Kieran Culkin asking his wife to have another baby that yeah. was which was Funny-ish. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if, if his wife was happy with that moment, then I'm happy with it. I do not know their marriage, so right. not for right. me to say with any certainty. Right. Uh, but so, so, like, you know, like the Golden Globes would have been the worst thing in the history of the world if it hadn't been for a couple good speeches. So I'm glad that they didn't shut people off on that yeah. show. Yeah. This show did not need the speeches as much, and so it was fine.
1: Well, I thought the best uh, speech or bit connected to the uh, Anthony um, Anderson's mom is going to walk, is going to you know uh, walk you off or yell at you. Uh, of course, was John Oliver, who I thought uh, what he did with that, you know, where he's like, I'm just going to name all the all the players from uh, <laughs> from uh, Liverpool <laughs> from Liverpool until I get you know, and then obviously she wasn't in her seat or she wasn't there, and they had to get her back. Um, to do the bit. And I thought it was hilarious because he ended with, I'd like to thank Jesus and my family. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and he, and he's always good. And then always. and then I
1: actually yeah. appreciated that he got
0: a member of his staff to give the thank yeah. you speech for the writing because I believe that traditionally it's just another opportunity for the John Olivers and Stephen Colbert's and John Stewart's of the world to give a second speech on the telecast. Yeah. So I was happy that he let someone else have the spotlight for a couple seconds. Yeah. So, uh,
1: yeah, uh, you know, and, and, you know, I thought it was uh, I thought it was, you know, I thought it was a fun broadcast and I liked certain things about it. And, uh, you know, some things didn't work. How did you feel about uh, We always talk about the the dead person montage, the in memoriam. They did forget Ryan O'Neill. Uh, and uh, and, huh. and a couple of other, and I think a couple of other people. Um, they, they're, they're always going to. Always, and, yeah. and that is
0: how it goes. But Ryan O'Neill definitely does have enough of a TV background yeah. that, that yeah. there would be, you know, that, that he should have been there. I For whatever reason, I didn't pay any attention to to who got excluded from the necrology this year, so I don't actually even know who they left off. And also, you have to keep in mind, it was 18 months of people who they were memorializing, yeah, in the same time true. as normal, so people are going to get excluded at a larger number. There's that's no true. getting around that. If you only have, and I guess it was a song and a half because they did the the Friends they, song. And, yeah. yeah, they did the Friends song, and they did the Fast and the Furious song before that. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, they did the Fast and Furious. That's right. Um, yeah. I I thought it was fine. I to to me. I think they could have gotten away with doing a more substantial, fully standalone tribute to Norman Lear. And uh, like, I think people, obviously it was, it was such a big year in terms of people passing and and there were just some real Titans. And I think they, they didn't want to run the risk of, well, if you do mini tributes to Norman Lear and to, um, and to Matthew Perry and to one or two others, then you're, leaving people out, but I yeah. feel like you could have just said, Norman Lear is in a class of his own. He yeah. gets a special tribute, and then yeah. everyone else is in the immemorium. I think that would have mm-hmm. been the way I would have preferred to go. And, and completely acceptable. Like, this is Norman sure. Lear. You know. Exactly. Um, no, yeah. no one, nobody... Could have complained, but I thought it. Was, I thought it was decent. I'm always. I'm always annoyed when uh, when they don't mute the audience. I know. Me those. Too. That's me just too. always a pet peeve, and this yeah. time they didn't. And so it's like it's always. It's a,
1: it, I always feel weird about it because it's like, oh, this person dying is much more important than this person dying, and I and, and I know that's not the case, but every time I watch it, I feel uncomfortable. I'm like, no, oh, Jesus! They're like this person. Yeah got no applause. Oh, he's an he's an editor. Oh, great. Okay. <laughs> you know, I mean, come on, man.
0: No, I I would have definitely I always in the necrologies on these shows prefer if they find a way to to mute the house audio and it's not even like it's a hard thing. You just you put the audio on the person singing and you turn off all the rest of yeah. the audio and maybe you hear a little bit of muffled applause in the background, but Yeah. Mostly, you don't. Yep. This, they just didn't turn off the audio yeah. at all. The crowd, so
1: okay. All right. Well, yeah. I, I thought I thought it was a. You know, I thought it was. A, I thought it was. I had a great time. I had a really good time watching the Emmys and uh, got my laundry done. So uh, it was. There, you it know. was
0: a good. It was a good show. I. Yeah. I look. I look. I hope that. The problem is that people will always learn the wrong lessons from things, or the lessons turn out to only be a partial lesson. I, I we'll we'll see what people take away from the show in yeah. terms of what can be repeated, and and it was just useful to have the Globes and the Emmys back to back weekends so that somebody could try to gain a little bit of insight on what works and what totally doesn't. So right.
1: okay, we'll see. Well, we got more award shows coming up, and then the the big one will be in March. March uh, 10th will be the Academy Awards. Uh, Jimmy Kimmel is your host, and we'll see what happens there. It'll be just, it'll be, you know, everybody up there, everybody who walks up there is going to be thanking someone, is going to be thanking Christopher Nolan every single time they walk up on the goddamn stage. So that's what I'm looking forward to. All right. um, Anyway, (laughs) I can tell. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, a couple of uh, interesting um, finales took place um, over the past week. And uh, let's start. Well, well, let's start. Let's start with the curse. Let's start with the curse, because we don't I don't want to talk a lot about give give stuff away uh, about the curse was the finale of the curse, the weirdest finale um, in television history. Or am I nuts? Uh, I mean, I'm not, not I mean, not inconsistent with the rest of the series, uh, the curse, but man, <laughs> it, what's the overall was... opinion? What's going on there? It was
0: surprising. The overall opinion is exactly what you would expect it to be, which is to say entirely split down the middle. There is right, right. surely the assortment of people who think that it was brilliant and confirmed the entire series as an act of brilliance. And then there were the people who were like, okay, I kind of had suspicions that this whole thing was a was a wank for nine episodes. And then the 10th episode completely confirmed that it was a wank and, yeah. and screw this whole thing. And I've yeah. definitely seen both responses and I don't necessarily know that
1: I can disagree with either response. Where did you fall on this? I'm, I'm with you. Uh, I, you know, I can see why people would be angry and I can see why people would love it. I, I, I I lean towards the loving it. I was, I, I I was a fan of it. And I, and I wasn't, I I, I gotta say I wasn't surprised really. It wasn't like a, you know, the, the, the finale didn't surprise me or anything. And I wasn't surprised that they went where they went and did it how they did it. Uh, knowing the people who are behind it and you know you know the tone of it inconsistently wait 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 wait. you weren't surprised by, by what they did y- yeah no i well i mean i i i'm not surprised that that's where they uh, that that's how far <laughs> it would go you know what i mean like i'm not surprised okay. they, like when it ended i'm like oh all right you know what i mean like i if that's I what don't, you want to I do. I don't
0: know. Like, I just, I'm just, i just wondering that if I had been on with you after episode nine, and if I had asked you to list the, say, yeah. 50, 50 most possible <laughs> things that would happen in the finale, are you suggesting you
1: would have gotten there or no, not? No, I would not have gotten there. But okay. I have to say that while watching it and upon the end of it, I wasn't surprised. I was like, oh, all right. You know what I mean? Like, it it, it didn't – I don't know. I just – like, because I I don't think anything that that those guys – would have done would have like shocked me to the point where I was like oh I can't believe they did that you know what I mean I you don't I don't know I'm, I'm not expressing this well but what I'm saying is that anything could have happened and I wouldn't have been surprised by it and okay. that's kind of what happened
0: <laughs> so, <laughs> I like no, like
1: look it's you know it it is
0: definitely it. it's hard to talk about vaguely I understand it is very hard to talk about it in vague terms and uh, that was sort of the advantage uh, on TV's top five last week is that Alan and I got to talk about it directly and part of the fun was that Leslie hadn't watched the show and so she wasn't (laughs) talking she was just sitting there listening to us as we described what happened in the finale and she got very 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 perplexed very quickly as we as we got to it so but no I Look, I've um, Alan strongly disliked the finale, and I watch. I've now watched it a couple times, and yeah. the second time through, I found it easier to kind of have the conversation about what they were doing and what it kind of meant in thematic terms, tied in with the rest of the show. And I can, I can justify it better than I think I could when I watched the ten episodes all in a row in one weekend ahead of the show. I can't even imagine that, by the way it I was can't. it was a lo- it was a lot and also <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we were very specifically told that in our review we couldn't even acknowledge that the finale was notably out of keeping with the show we could we could not acknowledge how the show ended whether it was satisfactory whether you know basically we were told to pretend like we hadn't seen the finale and yeah. so which whatever it happens periodically i guess sure. they were worried that people might hint around the finale in some way, shape, or form. Uh, I don't know that any nice, friendly person would have done that, but whatever. I know, so, so I've kind of, the, the finale has grown on me a little, and particularly the full commitment with which Nathan Fielder especially, but also uh, Emma Stone played all of the crazy, crazy-ass yeah. beats in yeah. the finale. I, yeah.
1: those, I can I can appreciate that. Yeah. What a crazy year she's had. I mean, uh, Emma Stone. It's like, I'm going to be crazy this year. I'm going well, to do some crazy stuff. <laughs>
0: I, I think, honestly, for the most part, she's decided that that's what she likes to do. That yeah. that I think that she had the little period in her career where she tried to do a little sort of back and forth thing of it. And and I truly think that the response to, uh, to Aloha genuinely said to her, there's no point in trying to do what you think is a mainstream movie, because if it's both mainstream and it falls flat, then you're left with nothing. Yeah. And so I think she decided that if she's going to do mainstream, she's gonna do mainstream like like Cruella, which if nothing else, that is a wacky performance she's giving in that movie. The movie is highly flawed. Yep. Some people would even go so far as to say often pretty bad and unnecessary. Mm-hmm. But the performance she's giving is entirely committed to being very weird. And I think that's just what she's yeah. decided she she does. You know, she yeah. this is her second time doing TV in the past decade, and the other time was was Maniac, which was yeah, basically alienated absolutely everybody who tried to sit down and watch it. It was like, ooh, if we get a chance to watch Emma Stone and Jonah Hill on right. TV, yay! Right. And then everyone sat down and went, wait, this, wait, is this not... isn't super bad. What the
1: hell? <laughs> this going is out? not
0: what we wanted to watch at all. So <laughs> yeah. that's not. Yeah. And and I and I just admire that. Like if she's if she's decided, and everyone needs to find kind of their muse or the person for whom they are a muse. But if she's found that Yorgos Lanthimos is the yeah. is is the person with whom she is most simpatico that's awesome that's yeah.
1: that's fantastic you can't yeah. you can't not love that no you can't And especially i mean her performance in poor things is astonishing so um but yeah and yeah and she always had like a weird she always had a lovely weird vibe and you know i mean joined the five timers club on snl and did uh, some great work on that i mean that 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 record producer bit that she did with the mama cast song i thought was spectacularly weird and uh <laughs> And she
0: fun. she is she is just very committed and and she does not care at all about about the idea of being kind of a mainstream version of what a movie star is and that that to me is kind of awesome yeah. so yeah
1: yay Emma I, Stone I love her I think she's awesome okay so that's that well, we can't really discuss the, the but but overall I thought uh, uh, I thought the show was great I uh, it, you know it was very uncomfortable I can't like you you watching it ten hours straight I don't even know how that happens because i needed a break after every episode of that damn show uh, of you the know, curse it, it, I, yeah, it happens
0: yeah. like like My six God. hours
1: straight of dead ringers was a lot uh <laughs> i i binged that one i will okay. say I, I, I watched i watched that uh and i didn't watch the whole thing but i did watch a, chunk, a large chunk of it in a row but i can't for some reason i can't i find the i find the curse much more disturbing than and and, and uncomfortable than dead ringers i don't know what that says about me
0: no, I think probably to some degree it says what it says the I think that's kind of the key differentiation. <laughs> is that, well no, it's just it's just <laughs> yeah. that it isn't that it doesn't hit as close to home what is visceral and disturbing about Dead yeah. Ringers compared to the curse. So yeah. I can yeah. I can buy that. But yeah, I, there, there are lots of things that I that I have to watch where it's uh, where even if the things are awesome, having to watch it in a, yeah. in a very condensed period of time, even something I loved as much as something like uh, Amazon's The Underground Railroad, which I still think is a masterpiece.
1: Yeah. Uh,
0: that was a lot of TV to watch in a in a yeah. condensed period. You know, of
1: that's time. something we need to keep in mind when we're talking to you and when, you know, uh, listeners are listening is that, you know, you 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 consume these shows differently than a oh, lot of us do for sure. Um, and that and that I mean that has to have uh, 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 at least a, a small impact on how you review it. I mean, because I couldn't imagine watching ten hours of the curse. I just can't. I can't. And I, and I liked it. I thought it was terrific. But I needed a break from that thing. You know. I think I it does. I think it. I think it. Yeah. I think it affects probably.
0: Probably realistically, it watches. It affects how I watch everything. Though yeah. again, in we do live in a in an age in which some percentage of the stuff. Is still, you know, even if the binge model is, I don't want to say it's dying because Netflix is keeping it alive, but no yeah. one else is feeling the responsibility to follow Netflix as much on right. that. Yeah, though occasionally, you know, you had Disney Plus and Hulu uh, putting all five episodes of Echo up a couple weeks ago, right. and that was that was right. sort of out of keeping with what they normally do, but. Right. Uh, you know, this this week, and I can't say anything about it because of Embargo, but I've watched an awful lot of Masters of the Air in a short time, and it it, it doesn't feel as arduous in some cases. In some cases, it's just like, ooh, fun, World War II action, and in yeah. other cases, it's, okay, I'm going to cringe for 10 hours straight. Yeah. That was definitely what okay. the curse was.
1: Okay, Fargo. Uh, Fargo's season finale, um, which I thought was... Great! I thought this season was one of the. I thought I thought this season. What, what are we? Five seasons now, right? Indeed. Um, I my up until you know. I'm not sure which one is my favorite season. I I don't know which one my favorite season is because I I like them all to varying degrees. But this one is way. This one's up near the top. This past season. Um, uh, I thought the performances were amazing, and I have to say, I, I, were people. Uh, 'Cause it was it was it would you call it a bait and switch for the for the finale? Because like they build up this entire what I what I what I think a lot of people or many of us were led to believe was gonna be this big like, you know, shootout showdown, big extravagant, you know, uh uh Set pieces and stuff, and that's not at all. That's not at all what happened. was there a response to that? Was it? Would you call it a bait and switch? Um, I don't think
0: it's a. I don't think. It's I don't a bait think bait and, and switch. switch. I'm not, yeah, and, I'm not
1: saying bait and switch, but what 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 people sort of expected, and it wasn't that. I mean, what's been the response to the finale?
0: Like honestly, much more than uh, the curse. I would say this is the ending that probably fit with what Fargo does much more than if there had been a. You know, a forty-five-minute shootout at the at the compound in uh, North Dakota. You know, they, right. I think that would have been a a different show and a show with a very different budget. And this is not that show. And I think, for the most part, I've, I definitely know a couple of detractors to the last twenty minutes of the season. Uh, But to me, the last 20 minutes of the season were both perfectly Fargo and rather perfect. I I agree. I I I just loved the way that the season went, and I loved the way it was able to kind of situate so many of the things that Juno Temple did so beautifully the entire season. Um, And I thought that most of the actors got to have the kind of grace notes or terrific moments that you wanted them to have like could there have been more jennifer jason I lee know, sure yeah, sure but, but she... she still had two fantastic oh, scenes yeah absolutely I, um okay. i thought it was a a great finale for sam Spruel, and we also learned that we've all been pronouncing uh Ula wrong yeah. the entire season so <laughs> right. but now we know his name is <laughs> Ula um right why not but he yeah. was fantastic uh i thought that I, I just i loved the last 20 minutes with juno temple with dave reisdahl yeah. uh with sienna king as as their as their daughter yeah. i thought i thought she was really great and had great moments in that last bit and with sam Spruel, i thought that was just beautiful me too beautiful storytelling yeah, me too and and i've watched that one now i've watched the last 20 minutes uh three or four times now because it just it just makes me so happy the the deliberate pace with which everyone is speaking. Like, I think if you looked at the dialogue and you looked at a script page for how long those last 20 minutes take, it's probably like three pages of, of dialogue, you know, yeah. and it and it just stretches, and it stretches with tension, it stretches with humor, uh, it's it's got the wonderful musical beats, and then also, of course, all of the other people who were great all season long. I know you love Joe Curie. I thought he had good stuff. Uh, John Hamm remains remarkable and is just, Horribly evil, yep. uh, and and yet for all of that, I'm going to continue to say this was my second least favorite season of Fargo, and that's just reflective of how much I love Fargo, and not yeah. in any way of uh, of this season. I just yeah. I just happen to think that it, the second season is perfect, the first season is close to perfect, the third season is not perfect. The third season has flaws, but Carrie Coon is perfect. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's that's how I look at it. I yeah. I still go two one. Uh, two one three four five is what I is how I no wait two one three
1: five four sorry five, season four,
0: four yeah. last one but
1: season four is the and I like season four I mean I like <laughs> I like 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 you I like all five seasons but I thought season I think season four is still the weakest oh, I like the, sure. I I like this season more than you did I uh, okay. I think um and at the very end when it all ended I was like the the. The thing that I think a lot of people that are gonna take out of this is just how unbelievable like overall, like everybody's great at it and has their moments. But the but the through line to this to this season has been a remarkable piece of work from Juno Temple. She's unbelievable in it. And uh yeah and I that was my takeaway was like everybody's amazing and everybody has r- really lovely moments and that la- like you said the last the the final third of the episode is just really I think remarkable but Juno Temple when it's all over you're like man what an mvp you know i mean it's a, it's a it's a great performance
0: it is and it's and it's just so good when someone like Juno Temple who's been around for 15 years now and been doing sure. really good work yeah. but Ted Lasso gave her this very large visibility bump. It was extremely popular. She was nominated for Emmys. And you sort of watch that performance and you go, hopefully somebody will be able to see what is so great about her and give her whatever the next thing is. And that will be the thing to watch. And that will be so exciting. And this was such a good confirmation of somebody watching Juno Temple and saying, I understand how to use her right now. Yeah. What anyone is going to be able to do
1: to top this, I, you yeah. know, good good luck. Bring it on. Yeah. Well, you know, years ago, I'll say many, many years ago. I think William Friedkin uh, tapped into that with Killer Joe because I thought she was amazing in Killer Joe, and, and um and that was the first time where I was like, oh, because I knew you know I knew her as <laughs> uh, I knew her as uh, uh, Julian Temple's daughter. That was because okay. Julian Temple to me, like in the '80s, I think he directed some really criminally underrated remarkably well-made films and of course he was a great video director and directed some landmark classic videos of the 80s but like i am a f- huge fan of absolute beginners i am a huge fan of, of uh, earth girls are easy i i think he's a tremendous director and uh, and i've been kind of like following him a lot and i and you know like she was very visible in his life a lot as a kid so i knew who she was and when she started to you know, start to act. I was like, "Oh, that's cool. That's that's Julian Temple's daughter. That's awesome." And then it was Killer Joe when the, that was the first time. After I saw Killer Joe, I'm like, "Okay, she's awesome." So I'm thrilled to see where her career has gone. You know, since her childhood when I followed her father around like a geek. So Well,
0: I think so. she had. I mean,
1: a a the British love Ju-
0: uh, Julian Temple more yes, than the Americans do, they do. So she's always got that. But no, she. I think she had this sort of really fun early start of her career where a lot of people just kind of wanted to use her as a sex pod. And that was sometimes amusing. I think she had, uh, she she obviously had this interest in working with weird people yeah. at that time, you know, yeah. whether it was William Friedkin or or Greg Araki or people yeah. like that. Yeah. And then there was just a little while where she kind of went through an awkward period where the baby fat was gone and no one was sure who she was anymore. And I think yeah. that you kind of could have looked at her in that period and gone, uh-oh, did she have her moment? Yeah. It did her moment pass? Was that it? And the answer now is no. very clearly, no, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely not. not. And and yeah. that's awesome. I, I love it when when people, I, I, I mean, for heaven's sakes, and I'm just looking this up now because I wasn't sure, she's only 34. And it's yeah. really kind of funny that yeah. there could have been this period five years ago or, or seven years ago where I was like, OK, I, I guess she missed her time. At which point she would have been twenty eight, yeah. which is ridiculous. Hollywood yeah. is grotesque and obscene. Yep. Um but no, the fact the fact that she had this year, you know, we talked about Emma Stone having the crazy year Emma Stone had with uh with this and the ed of Ted Lasso, I would say this was a pretty solid Absolutely. twelve months for Juno Temple as well.
1: Well, uh season five Fargo in the books and another terrific season, I think, of of a great show. So all right. Uh all right, let's let's uh, let's talk really quickly here. Um I happen to be a huge fan of Clive Owen. I love the guy, and I love uh, you know. And I have not seen *Murder at the End of the World*. Is that what it's called? *Murder at the End of the World*. It is. And uh, have you seen that? I have. And uh, fan or, or? Um, I think it's very
0: interesting, and I think it. I think like the first five episodes of *Murder at the End of the World* are are kind of great. It's okay, uh, and then it, and then to me, I didn't like the last couple. I thought the way it tied up its mystery to me was was oh. kind of a total failure, I would go so far as to say. Okay. But for a while, I thought it was extreme. It's de- it's definitely worth checking out. It's, okay. it's, it's got a lot of... Um, it, basically, what it is, is it's kind of uh, um, Monsieur Spade, or Monsieur Spade, as I'm calling it, because right. <laughs> I'm silly, uh, meets True Detective Season 4, uh, because right. it's, it's very much the... Uh, Murder at the end of the world. It's it's there. It's a blizzard. It's yeah. Iceland. It's yeah. it's cold. It's dark, etc. And and then there's the greatest gumshoe in the world played by the great Emma Corrin. Uh, it's it's got a lot of really good things in it. I wish it had ended better, but still okay. worth checking out.
1: Well, uh, I'm on the Clive Owen train all the time. I love the guy. And so you mentioned uh, Monsieur Spade. <laughs> Um, and that's on AMC or whatever. It's on. 50- I don't even know what to do anymore. It's some, I'm watching it on AMC. That's what my DVR is set for AMC, and that's how I'm watching it. Uh, Monsieur Spade, which is Sam Spade, the famous character from the Maltese Falcon um, that uh, Bogart played in uh, retirement in France. And he's, and, it's played, and he's played by Clive Owen, who I, again, have mentioned I love. I think he's a terrific actor. You've seen the entire series. Uh, it's, and it's six episodes, correct? It
0: is six episodes.
1: Yeah. And what do you think? I, I wish I liked it a little bit
0: more is is basically kind of the bottom line it's because uh, also the the creative team is, Absurd. The it is created by Scott Frank, uh yeah, who of yeah. course is Queen's Gambit and Out of Sight and, and many other things, just yeah. tremendous writer. Yeah. And Tom Fontana, who has written on many, many, many great shows, including Homicide and, and Oz. You know, that that is like that is a double A-list pairing uh of creators. And of course, Clive Owen, who I think is 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 good as Sam Spade. I think one of the interesting things about this is that it kind of does expose um, not how limited Sam Spade is as a character, but how limited our knowledge set of Sam Spade is as a character. So basically, that's a character who Dashiell Hammett wrote in one book, *The Maltese Falcon*, which is spectacular, great book, and and beyond spectacular movie, mm-hmm. and then four short stories. But there's not this vast. Reservoir of Sam Spade mysteries wherein you can say, ah, that line of dialogue is totally Sam Spade. That dialogue, Sam Spade would never say. So Sam Spade ends up being a somewhat amorphous character who's defined in our minds by Humphrey Bogart. And thankfully, Clive Owen is not doing a Humphrey Bogart impression. That is, that is great and mm-hmm. tremendous. And I think he's good. And I think that... Um, I think that Scott Frank and Tom Fontana have some sense of what hard-boiled Dashiell Hammett dialogue is supposed to sound like. I think you get some of that. I just think that the the core mystery, and if you've only seen one episode, it, it involves. It starts with a massacre at a at a convent, for the most part, and a a girl whose father is shady in some South of France kind of a way. And then it it involves the French Resistance in World War Two, and it, because it's set in the early '60s, it involves the French uh, occupation of and conflict in Algeria. It's it's trying to bring a lot of things in, and I didn't think that the core mystery worked all that well. And and that ends up being where I I wanted to love it, and instead I kind of only liked it.
1: I think. Mm. Okay. Okay. Uh, before we get out of here, uh, you did mention True Detective. Um, uh, night country uh, you know i 've watched the two i 've watched the, the first two episodes i i think it 's great i love it and 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 I am one of those uh, moron geeks um, who is jotting down every reference to john carpenter 's the thing that you can possibly imagine, and there are like a million of them. I also love the fact. I don't know if you know how I feel about Ferris Bueller because I think it's like one of, the, <laughs> one of the worst movies ever made. And I love the fact that Jodie Foster immediately walks in and says, turn that fucking TV off because it's just <laughs> it's just Ferris Bueller uh, ruining a Beatles song over and over again. And she tears the damn thing down. Uh, but anyway, um, I, I'm I'm really loving the tone of it. Uh, and uh, it's got a horror. It's got a undeniable sort of horror underlying element to it. And the woman who, who made this, uh, made a terrific horror movie a few years ago uh, that not a lot of people have seen. And I love where they're going with it. And I love the fact that Jodie Foster is playing a character, the kind of character that she normally does not play. Um, you know, got a questionable past, likes, likes having some sex. You know what I mean? Likes having affairs with guys and like he clearly had some drinking issues. And she's much more assertive and angry than she usually is. You know, because a lot of the Jodie Foster characters are kind of like they're not victims, but they're kind of passive. Like I'm thinking of like her, you know, in Silence of the Lambs, even not a victim, but like, you know, like uh, put upon throughout the entire thing, contact, things like that. Where in this one, she's the aggressor and, you know, (laughs) like telling people to stop acting like idiots and like has to deal with all these other things. And aggressively like seeking sex and stuff like that. And and this is a character that is unusual and it took me a little bit to go, Oh, okay, this is Jodie Foster playing this part and I think she's great in it. I think everybody's great in it. So I think think
0: she is she is definitely having fun with No question. uh, with with playing a a thoroughly messy character and yeah. embracing every bit, absolutely. I think it is a very good performance yeah, by her. Absolutely. Well, how do you feel about this? this now, have you seen the whole thing? I have seen all six episodes. Yeah. Um, I, oh yeah, we talked it. about this. We talked a little yeah, bit. About it, yeah, I I liked it. I I think at times I like it a lot. I think it it as you say it sets a tremendous mood. The mood is yeah. is just. Amazing. I, I wanted probably two more episodes. Right. It. That's I wanted, what we talked about last time. Yeah. I wanted more, I wanted more time in this place, more yeah. time with these characters, particularly the stuff a little bit around the edges. I wanted more time with the indigenous community. Mm-hmm. I would have liked a little bit more detail on the mining company that's kind of at the center yeah. of everything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, just, yeah. just a little bit more time in this very strange town that has you know, it's it's not a it's not a insignificant little town. It's a town that actually has a functional economy and and you know, it people live there. And I yeah. liked I liked seeing how people live in this place. And six episodes felt a little bit rushed, but that gotcha. is that is what my criticism is in terms of storytelling. I think it's easily the cleanest and best piece of storytelling
1: in the True Detective yeah. franchise. So. Yeah. You know, when when it, when the when the when the complaint is not enough, that's oh, a, that's good for sure. <laughs> that's good. I wanted more. When the when the when the criticism is, I just I'm sorry, but I wanted more. That's a good criticism. I think. No, no.
0: The uh, the number of reviews that I write, which are this was ten episodes, it could have been six. This was ten yeah, episodes, it yeah. should have been a movie. Right. The fact that this one is six and should have been eight is is not. A harsh criticism.
1: It is. It is not. And knowing you and talking with you every other, you know, every couple of weeks uh, and for you to say that uh, this should have been eight episodes instead of six, that's unbelievably unusual for you. Let me just say.
0: No, it is very rare. And so credit to it for that being
1: the thing I liked least about this. All right. Well, cool. Wrapping up the Emmys, talking about some great uh, finales. Uh, If you've not checked out Fargo and The Curse, you should. Uh, True Detective is running right now. And Monsieur Spade. Um, is uh, is on AMC or one of those channels? Uh, what are we looking forward to next time that we speak? What are you What are you th- going to be watching? I think we
0: sh- I think we should be able to talk about uh, Masters of the Air. So that's uh, mm. a thing that's worth talking, especially since people do love them. Some uh, Band of Brothers and the Pacific, yeah. So that yeah. is that is definitely a thing people will want to talk to next time we chat. We should be able to talk about uh, Ryan Murphy's Capote and
1: the Swans uh, <laughs> limited series, which looks like it should be campy yeah. and amusing. Should be fun. Uh, I I'm thrilled to see Molly Ringwald. That's the that's the I gotta say that's the casting that I'm th- most thrilled about. Is, Whatever, I, um, I have no idea. Look, why. there
0: there are, there are like 15 A-list stars in that movie, and and. Molly Ringwald is still uh, high in the list of credits, which means it should be a good chance for her. Yeah. So I hope it is. I have, I hope. Uh, that, that one I'm not getting to this t- until this weekend. Okay. So looking right. forward. Well, we'll talk about it
1: next time. Okay, great. All right, uh, Dan, always a pleasure. Everybody check out The Fine Print, F-I-E-N. And uh, Dan, you can read about him at The Hollywood Reporter. TV's Top 5 is the, is the uh, podcast that drops every Friday. Dan, always a pleasure. And we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Till next time, Nick. All right, buddy. Take care. Right. Dan Feinberg, everybody. He rules, and so does Esmeralda Leon. Esmeralda.
0: Yeah, Esmeralda Leon Yeah, Asthma. I'm talking about that asthma, Esmer. Esmeralda Leon, yeah, Esmeralda, yeah, yeah, Oh, Esmeralda Leon, yeah, yeah Get yourself some asthma Love me some asthma
2: Esmeralda Leon. Yeah, yeah.
1: Esmeralda. that theme means, of course, it's Esmeralda. time to talk to Esmeralda Leon. Joins me on every episode right here on the Nick T podcast, and it is Esmeralda. Hi, Esmeralda.
2: Hello.
1: How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm all right. Uh, it is a uh, it is a, the early part of the week, Tuesday, technically. Uh, how was your weekend? Mm-hmm. Did you do anything anything mm-hmm. spectacular over the weekend?
2: Um, no, not really. Just hung out with some friends on Saturday, but mm. that's about it. Okay. Nothing else. Just some friend,
1: local friends or any, some people out of town or just, mm-hmm. uh. No, w- just local friends. Just locals hanging out. Okay, cool. All right. Uh, we, we went down to uh, Lafayette, Indiana to Purdue University. Uh, All to, right. To see my girlfriend's uh, goddaughter perform in uh, the a championship for high school jazz band. Oh wow! It was really cool. It was really cool, and like immediately when they started playing, you know, they had a drummer and all the other, they, you know, the, you know, musicians.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> we're on, we're on stage, and I immediately was like, "Man, I want to watch Whiplash because that's the first thing I thought." Wow. Of <laughs> was Whiplash because the drummer, you know, the drummer was really like kind of a hyper dude, you know, mm-hmm. and I just kept picturing like J.K. Simmons going, "Are you dragging or are you rushing?" You know, and.
2: <laughs> <God>. <laughs>
1: um, but it was cool it was very it was really it was uh really really cool she goes to high school in bloomington indiana um mm-hmm. and, she, and she plays piano, uh, piano and keys um mm. an amazing kid, so talented you know i think back to you know like when i was like a junior she's a junior and some of them were seniors when I when i was a junior in high school you know like i had my thumb up my ass and i was watching horror movies and she's like playing in a an incredible jazz band, you know, and it's amazing. But have you ever yeah. been down to, have you ever been down
2: to, to, to Purdue? Uh, no, no. it's an, it's a, it's a, I an try not to, community. I try not to go to Indiana if I don't have to. Yeah.
1: It's an interesting campus. I gotta say, I mean, I haven't been on a college campus, Jesus Christ in, you know, in many, many, many years and obviously things have changed and they're all modernized now, but, um, but yeah, they've got like, all. God, I mean, you know, Uh, they've got all kinds of, like, in the the quad area or whatever, you know. Man, the food court is unbelievable, the stuff they've got in there. I'm like, God damn. You know, like, (laughs) you know, I I went to Columbia, and there was, like, a room in the basement with uh, shitty vending machines where you could get heated up chunky soup, you know.
2: And there's, like, Starbucks
1: and sushi places, and I'm like, God damn, you know and even the grocery store caters to um to college students cuz they just come down you know cuz mm-hmm. the door, the dorms are like right in the, right across the street so they just come down in their underwear and stuff so they've got like they've got like they've got ramen like an entire section of ramen you know like a mm-hmm. <laughs> that's like I'm like yep we're in a college we're definitely in a in, in a convenience store that is aimed at college students <laughs> There's, like, snacks and all kinds of, like, stuff. And, like, clearly there's, like, a section for the college students who are high. They had all those snacks in one place. It's like, okay. I know. I get it. You come down in your robe. You know, you're cramming for a final. And you're like, man, I got to go down. And they've got all the the stuff that you can nuke. You know, you got your burritos and your fast mm-hmm. food and all that shit. You can just boom, bing, boom, ding, bang. And I forgot all about it. But I loved the entire aisle that was dedicated to ramen and ramen snacks. Yeah. <laughs> You know, just like you know, like they have uh, you know, the, uh, like uh, like like potato chips, uh, snacks that are ramen flavored, and like hard noodles that you mm-hmm. can just eat, and uh, and those are all like in one ramen section. So I'm just picturing kids in their stocking feet, you know, just coming down at two o'clock in the morning and loading up. <laughs> but yeah, I was like, I was impressed by just like I was like, man, this is a this is a college food court. Holy shit! So. Yeah, it sounds
2: nice.
1: Yeah, it was nice. It was nice. A nice campus. And they were, they, you know, they're the Boilermakers. That's their, uh, their Big, Ten, uh, Big Ten sports team. And they're the Boilermakers. And I always thought it kind of, it was, it was kind of interesting that they were named after, you know, a shot in a beer. You know? <laughs> I'm assuming that, that that Boilermakers, you know, the, 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 the I'm assuming that the, the actual uh, uh, job uh, is, is where it came from. And the, right. that's, where the, that's where the name, of, that's the name of where the shot in the beer. But every time I hear Boilermaker, I think shot in a beer because I'm an alcoholic. I mean, yeah, so I automatically
2: the, <laughs> went shot in beer.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, they're the Purdue shot in beers. Yeah. You know, it's, a, mm. it's like, yeah, yeah, man, yeah. Shot in a beer. Yeah. yeah! So anyway, but yeah, that was fun uh, going, going down to Lafayette uh, to Purdue. Never been there before, but yeah, no, it was, it was really interesting. It was, it was very inspiring to see like. You know, seventeen and eighteen-year-old, sixteen-year-old kids just rocking out. There was a kid on saxophone where I was like, "God damn, this kid is good." I mean, he was like seventeen. Mm-hmm. So, and it was cool too because they got like feedback from the judges, um, mm-hmm. and they were really, really cool. They would come up and like, "All right, try it this way." And then like one judge was just like, "You know that part where it goes sit katine ba doom ba bing ba?" You know, he's doing that. he's doing. That. <laughs> And every you know, the, and the kids in the band are like, "Yes, I do. I understand. I know exactly what you're talking about. What stands that you're talking about?" He's going, "You
2: know, when it goes and I'm
1: like, "I don't understand what the hell's happening right now," but the kids do, so that's good.
2: Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, good for them. That's yeah. nice, though, that they get feedback.
1: They get great you'd think feedback. They
2: would just be like, "No, nah, you lose," nah. or whatever,
1: and then and win. Then, it's great. They they had like several sessions during the entire day, and Julie's goddaughter was in three different sessions. She was in like. Um, an all girl group and then a mixed group Mm -hmm. and then her entire high school jazz band, uh, in the big auditorium. That was, that was in the evening. And even in the big auditorium, they had, uh, what they were, they called them adjudicators and, uh, they were like judges and they would sit and talk into those little, like, they look like, uh, um, they're like recording devices. Um, but they, they Mm kind of look like, they kind of look like the, the thing that, uh, Captain Kirk uses to, you know, to buzz on board. You know what I mean? It looks like, (laughs) but they speak into it and they leave comments. A
2: tricorder?
1: I guess it's a tricorder. Is that what it
2: is? Wasn't that what it was called, I think? I
1: don't know, but they speak into it. It's like a little handheld device. And then after the band plays and as they're speaking into it, the adjudicators, after the band plays, a kid runs by and picks those up and brings them back. And I guess they download them or record them so that they have the feedback. From the adjudicators, hmm. and then they then they go up on stage and say, "Hey, you did a great job, kids!" And they high five them and go, "Let's try this section again." And then they try another section again. It's re- it was really great, man. It was really really hmm. great. So yeah, it was fun. So that's what happens when you. I haven't been to a I, as soon as I walked out of the you know. Like, and again, it was hilarious too because like um, we were there. We got there at like two o'clock in the afternoon. We left at about eight at night. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. parking the big parking lot there, seven dollars. I was like, wow, what a. D-. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, can you imagine parking anywhere day? in the city for a whole day? Just seven an hour? Seven... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we wait, wait a minute. We didn't park for 15 minutes and pay seven dollars. It was unbelievable, unbelievable. And then, like, of course, Julie got gas while we were in Indiana because it's like a buck cheaper mm-hmm. a gallon. So yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, it was a fun little trip down to uh, down to Purdue. Nice little, nice, nice little. It's a big university, but nice university. And kids were cool, and the jazz band was great. And I just and immediately, like, I you know we were talking to the kids afterwards. And I was like, have you guys seen Whiplash? And one guy's like, yes, I've seen it. Shut up. you Because know? <laughs> right, it was the drummer, too, because I asked the drummer. I was like, hey, man, have you seen Whiplash? He's like, right. yes. Yes, I have. Thanks. I'm like, oh, OK. <laughs> so anyway, but that was, it was a fun weekend. And it wasn't. Uh, it was a little chilly. But, uh, but you know, it's January. That's what happens. OK. Hey, so we have a uh, you're going to finish up with the taste test of unique snacks from Spain. Mm-hmm. Today You're going to do that. And then on the next uh, episode, I received a box. Now, uh, Deanna, as you know, is, yes. uh, is one of our fantastic subscribers and listeners, been a fan of the show for many years. She's awesome. She's a great friend. And she's like, hey, I'm going to get you guys a monthly snack box from Universal Yums. And when they show up, you guys can do your taste test because, you know, she knows that we like to taste test stuff and have fun, you know, eating weird stuff. hmm Yeah. So I would just like to uh, really commend the people at Universal Yums. Uh, You can check out universalyums.com where you can get a snack package a month. Subscribe and get it a month. And you get it from a different country or a different part of the world every month. And there are sweet snacks and savory snacks. There's chips. There's candy. You know, there's chocolate stuff, uh, you know. And the next one that we're gonna do is Poland, and it comes with a map, like a really cool cartoon map where the stuff comes from, and a booklet with like sort of like uh, games and stuff that you can play, and information about all the snacks and about Poland, and then a whole selection of really cool different kinds of snacks and candies and chips and stuff from Poland. So Universal Yums, man, that was cool. Did you? Did, so the 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 Spain one is you got the Spain one, um, and yeah, you were last you, month. Yeah, you were enjoying the snacks from Spain for the mm-hmm. most part.
2: They're delicious. Yeah.
1: So Universal Yums. Shout out to Universal Yums, man. What a great service. I don't know how much it is because uh, our, our, our lovely uh, listeners are just like, hey, it's on me. Let me do this for you. But you can check it out at UniversalYums.com. I think it's pretty, pretty cheap. And the package that you get, it's a lovely box, fun box. You open it up, all kinds of really cool snacks and interactive stuff and a sticker with the Polish flag. And then a booklet with games and information about Poland and where the snacks came from and a map. It's really really cool. And then we'll taste test Polish snacks starting on uh, on Friday on the next episode. But so what do you got? What do you got, Spain wise? We're gonna wrap it up. You got three more snacks from the Spain box from Universal Yums, correct?
2: Yes. What do you so got? So from the last three, I have is um, another cookie, but this one is filled with coconut cream. Ooh, coconut cream. All right.
1: Okay. Um
2: and then another thing are like little they look like they're milk chocolate white chocolate candy. Mhm. With a caramel flavor.
1: Ooh, that all sounds good to me. White chocolate They look chocolates. like Werthers. Okay. <laughs> so they look like Werthers like little are they wrapped individually?
2: No, they're in like a, they're in a little plastic tube.
1: Little plastic tube, white chocolate with caramel, and they look like Werther's. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. And then what's the third one?
2: And then just like a chocolate bar, it's Mm -hmm. peanut and cocoa cream. Okay. So it's um, chocolate on the outside. And then it looks like there's some kind of uh, cookie layer or something like that. And then it's... All stuffed with, like, a cream, which I'm assuming is the peanut and the cocoa. Oh,
1: man. All right. So a chocolate bar with peanut and cocoa cream stuffed. And then white chocolate with caramel and cookies, uh, coconut cream-flavored cookies. hmm All from Spain. All right, cool. And again, yes. yes. Again, Universal Yums. Our thanks to Universal Yums and uh, Indiana. And uh, we'll uh, we'll we'll wrap up Spain. Esmeralda will wrap up Spain, and then we'll jump into we'll jump over to Poland. We'll be taking some we'll be taking some trips. It, it's like we're on tour with uh, Michael Bolton again. Right. Going all over the going all over the place. We're on break from that. Going to, going,
2: going to Spain. Going to Poland. That's
1: right. uh Oh, wait a minute. Oh. <laughs>
2: Hi, I'm Carrie Russell and I love Nick's Hi, show. Carrie, how Hi, Carrie. Hi. I'm Carrie Russell Hi, Carrie. and I love Nick's show.
1: She has a t shirt that says Coconut Cream Rules. Wow. Oh, wow. I so didn't she know she was coconut. a fan. She's a fan, obviously. Hi, I'm Carrie Russell. I love Nick's show. All right, <laughs> oh, there you go. Okay, cool. They don't have any of this, though. Get the
2: corn out of my face!
1: No No corn.
2: I mean, probably,
1: yeah, but it did not come in. <laughs> Most this box. likely
2: they have corn. Yeah, yeah. No corn in the box No, or corn okay. snacks,
1: no corn snacks, no corn in the box. Okay. All right. Very cool. All right. Hey, um, uh, so I, you know, we, uh, I, we have a link that we share with, uh, you know, articles and stuff that we think that, you know, we both think are fun to talk about. And then we share that mm-hmm. and we look at the articles mm-hmm. and stuff. And one of them is this thing called witty retorts. Where it's like people say something and then there's like a smart ass answer to that. And I wanted to uh, to read some of these because some of them are very funny. Do you have friends and well, I mean you might be that person. Do you have smart ass friends who always have a smart ass answer for people? Like when someone asks you, um, do you do you, ha- do you have do you have the person that you can always rely on for a smart ass response?
2: Uh I wouldn't I I don't I can't think of anyone offhand, like immediately mm. go, yep, that guy. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but I'm sure probably
1: like snarky, <laughs> snarky people who are like, just wa- just waiting right. for some, for waiting for someone to ask kind of a dumb question so they could jump all over. Them.
2: I guess <laughs> yeah. I can't think of anyone offhand, but mm-hmm. I'm sure we've done it every once in a while.
1: Well, when I was, when I was a kid, uh, I read, uh, Mad magazine as, you know, lots mm-hmm. of, lots of boys my age did. Um, you know, Mad magazine was kind of like a Bible for for me and my friends it was like
2: right three stooges mad
1: magazine (laughs) you know when you're a kid those are the things that you really love and then there's cracked which uh, doesn't exist in that form anymore but Cracked was like the ripoff of mad you know they had alfred it seems like it It, yeah that's exactly what it was and i can't remember maybe you can google you can do some googly what is the mascot's name on cracked so you had Alfred E. Newman, as everybody knows. Alfred E. Newman is the guy with the space in his teeth, the dumb guy who's on the cover of Mad all the time. Mm-hmm. That's Alfred E. Newman. But there was a Alfred E. Newman type guy who wore like a painter's cap. He was like a. He looked like he was a like a house painter, and he had blonde hair and he was a doofus. And I don't remember what his name was, but yeah. he was he was the Alfred E. Newman of cracked because cracked was like a, you know, the second rate. The imitation mad, that's what cracked was, and so they had like Uh, this
2: Sylvester P. Smith. That's his name,
1: Sylvester P. Smythe is his name, and I guess that description is close, right? Blonde hair, he looks like he's wearing a painter's.
2: Yeah, he's got um, it's kind of longer hair. Mm Mm-hmm. He's got very blue eyes.
1: Oh, (laughs) so he's a lovely. He's a yeah. So he's cute.
2: Very blue eyes. Okay. Um they're a little look crazy looking, but yeah. uh very blue eyes. Well 'cause he's eyes. 'cause
1: he's cracked. That's why.
2: Right. <laughs> yes.
1: Sylvester Um
2: oh he's the janitor.
1: Oh he's a jan that's what it is. He's a janitor. Okay. All right. So he's a janitor. He walks around with a mop and uh and stuff. And he's Sylvester Smythe. Is that his name?
2: Yeah. Sylvester um,
1: Sylvester P. Smythe. Sylvester P. Smythe. He is the janitor mascot of Cracked, which was kind of the imitation Mad magazine. Mm-hmm. So yeah. but he's not, you know, he's not nearly as iconic or beloved as Alfred E. Newman. I mean, Alfred E. Newman is, you know, everybody knows Alfred E. Newman. Even right. if you don't, even this if
2: you don't, seems, he seems to be like the lower cousin of him. Yeah. Because he's a janitor. Yeah. <laughs> um his hair is a little longer. Like right. Alfred e. Newman had, you know, short hair. He could afford a haircut. Um, and and and, and, right.
1: and Smythe couldn't. Smythe had to wait to get his hair cut. He was like He looks
2: right. a little sixty ish because he's got the long hair. Yeah, I see. I see.
1: Well, the reason I bring it up is because Mad Magazine had some classic artists and writers. Uh, mm-hmm. like there was a guy named Don Martin. And if you looked up Don Martin Mad Magazine, Don Martin. For my uh, money, he was the most imaginative and the craziest artist uh, who Mm -hmm. had the craziest drawings and the funniest characters. So if you were to, like, Google Don Martin Mad Magazine, you would see a very, very specific type of caricature that he would draw. Um, And their feet were very long, and they folded over. Like, if they stood on a curb, their feet would, you know, their, their flat feet would fold over the curb, and they... They all kind of looked the same. They were dopey-looking guys with long heads and big noses, and they would stick their finger up their nose. And Don Martin was also known for making up weird sound effects that he would write, like, "slack." He would write, like, in capital letters. Like, if you just looked up, if you Googled, like, Don Martin, um, you know, sound effects, because that was his thing. He would make up what something would sound like and just have different consonants with exclamation points express what that sound would be while you're reading it. But he was my favorite artist. Don Martin was my favorite artist, and and, and he had a very like you could tell whenever you would uh, you would look at a Don Martin drawing in a Mad magazine. The characters were all they all looked exactly the same. They were dopey, weird guys, big dudes with long heads, and um. So that was Don Martin. Yeah. Like uh, yeah, can you see? Have you? Did you look him up?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. See, I mean that you can tell. Like you look at that's a very distinctive caricature that he draws. Yeah. 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 And they're very funny. They're very very funny. So he was a guy, but then there was also a whole bunch of other artists too, but there was a guy named Al Jaffe, uh, J-A-F-E-E, if I'm not mistaken. Al Jaffe, just passed away not so long ago. He lived to be 100, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, wow. Um, and he was a great artist and a great writer with Mad Magazine because they had these teams like Don Martin, or Al Jaffe, and a whole bunch of other guys. It, um, Don Drucker is another one, but, but Al Jaffe had this thing that he would do regularly in Mad Magazine, and then they would release paperback books of it, of specifically called "Snappy Answers to Stupid Questions." Mm. So this is kind of you know related to what you know this article is like witty retorts to people who say stupid shit. But Al Jaffe was doing it years ago, and they released a whole bunch of volumes of paperbacks of nothing but page after page of snappy answers to stupid questions. So, so if you were to Google that, like, Al Jaffe Mad Magazine, snappy answers to stupid questions, you would see an example. And what it was is he would draw, like, and he was a beautiful, great artist, like, really imaginative and funny and weird caricatures and stuff, characters. Mm-hmm. And he would, uh, like, someone would answer a question, and then there would be, like, five or six different snappy answers in a bubble, you know, over the character's head, like a cartoon. Um, and he, and I had, I had so many volumes of those, the snappy answers to stupid questions. Cause I wanted to be prepared. If someone asked me a stupid question, I was like, well, <laughs> I'm prepared because of Al Jaffe.
2: But, yeah. Yeah. So they, did you ever to get prepared. to use it?
1: Not really. Cause they were very specific questions. I don't know if you, if, uh, if you mm. can find, if you can find any online, but snappy answers to stupid questions. It's usually like, and then what they would do was in each chapter or in each book they would have somebody ask a stupid question there'd be a very funny cartoon that he would draw and then a whole bunch of bubbles with the snappy answers and then one bubble would be blank for you to write one you know they would Did have you like... ever write one yeah i don't remember what i wrote but i would like i would probably something like <laughs> fuck you you know what i mean like that would
2: <laughs> <laughs> i got him <laughs> yeah
1: exactly but they would leave like he would leave one bubble blank with like bl- lines on it that you could fill in so like you would get inspired by his snappy answers to the stupid questions. And then the last bubble, you know, that was supposed to be coming out of this character's mouth was just a bunch of lines for you to fill in. And I would write something like you've, you've like farts, you know, or something, <laughs> something incredibly like, witty. You got them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, that's the kind of stuff that I was reading when I was a kid, snappy answers to stupid questions. So did you ever get into mad magazine at all when you were
2: younger? Not really. I would look at it when I went to the to the supermarket or whatever, and you right. would go look at all the magazines. Right. I would always look at it, um, but yeah, wasn't never bought an actual copy of it.
1: And they used to have the thing in the back page. You know what the back page was? Every ep, or every uh, issue was a yeah, thing. Yeah, the magic eye thing. Yeah. The the fold in mm-hmm. where you you would fold the page and it would be like a different image. I used to love that when I was a kid. Like, ooh, the fold in. Like you look at the full page and then when you fold it in three, they would tell you how to fold it. It would be a completely different image and, and the words would be different. And you know, when mm-hmm. you're nine when you're nine, read Mad magazine, you think that's the wittiest and the coolest and most amazing thing you've ever seen in your life.
2: <laughs> I mean, I think it still is. The fact that you gotta draw them <laughs> to be two different images, like yeah. good on you yeah to yeah. keep track of all that,
1: the, the the fold. if I'm not mistaken, the
2: fold-in was Al Jaffe.
1: I think Al Jaffe did the fold-in uh, on in you know the, the the back cover of every issue of Mad. I believe Al Jaffe was the one who designed and would always do the fold-in, where you would fold the page. at the end, it would be a, di- a different message and a different image. So that was I think that was the great Al Jaffe who just passed away not too long ago, lived to be a hundred. But yeah, snappy answers to stupid questions. So I don't know. So I have this article here, Esmeralda, that you saw with the witty retorts. Uh, So James Joyce's response to a fan who asked, May I kiss the hand that wrote Ulysses? Um, His response was, No, it did a lot of other things too. That's kind of an Mm -hmm. asshole. That's kind of an asshole response, right?
2: I mean, I, he's not lying, I guess. Yeah. That is yeah. fact. Yeah,
1: it is. Yeah. I always maintain this. I
2: mean, is that a thing? Was that a thing at that time to be to, kissing people's hands? I guess.
1: Or maybe because they admired him so much. It was like, Oh my God, this is the person who wrote Ulysses. I have to just put my lips on the hand that held the quill or the pen
2: yeah i think even time. james joyce is like no yeah <laughs> Let, nah.
1: and i would I, it, my guess is that james joyce was drunk when he was asked that question that would be my guess it was like nah did a lot of other things like you know hold a shot glass uh mm-hmm. <laughs> frequently i've always maintained every time somebody says yeah i read ulysses i say you're full of shit um have you ever read ulysses
2: Adrella? uh no yeah no i have not
1: uh, I've tried to get through that book like 900 times and, and there were a few times, you know, like I try to read it. And I'm not, it's not that I'm against Joyce because I've read, I've read a couple of other James Joyce books, but like Ulysses, fuck off. Like I try to read that book and I, I get like, <laughs> like uh, 20 pages in. I'm like, fuck this book. And I throw it across the room. And, and, and anybody who's like, yes, I've read Ulysses. I've read it many times and I've studied to fuck off because that book is impossible. <laughs> it's impossible. And I, I, you know, I'm not a dumb person. I may not be the brightest person in the world. Or the sharpest mm. knife in the drawer, or whatever it is. But I, you know, I know how to read and I know how to interpret stuff. That book's bullshit. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so you would not be kissing his hand. No, or fuck asking no. well, to kiss no, his he,
1: hand. he he no, he's written other stuff that I love. You know, he's written other things that I really like, but Ulysses is not one of them. Ulysses is like, I've tried, seriously, I've tried to get through that book. I've hunkered down and said, okay, this is a classic mm-hmm. book. It's a masterpiece. It's considered one of the greatest pieces of literature in the history of the world. I really want – and every time I'm like, fuck this book. You know what I mean? Like every time I try to read it. <laughs> do you remember what books that you had to read in high school whether or, or, or grade school? Did you have to um, do like yeah. Catcher, Catcher in the Rye or any of the other ones?
2: We Maybe. did not do Catcher in the Rye. We did uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah, good um, book. I read – on my own, I read for book report thing um, mm-hmm. Animal Farm. Yeah. And uh, they I know were, were we had these,
1: to read the Odyssey. You had to read the Odyssey. Ooh. Okay.
2: Yeah.
1: Now, no, was this in high school or grade school? Because this was like around
2: high like school. High school. High school. We, junior high, I think. Yeah. I think it was did, high school though.
1: We did like eighth grade. We started. I remember. I think seventh grade and eighth grade is when we started doing book reports and stuff.
2: Mm-hmm. But
1: it was like freshman year of high school one, and we got the the ones that everybody gets. You mentioned Animal Farm, you know. Um, you mentioned *To Kill a Mockingbird*. What are some of the other, like the ones that you always get? Um,
2: um, in middle school, we got *The Giver*.
1: Oh yeah, oh yeah. I never had to read that one. Yeah. Did you like any of these books? Which ones do you remember liking? Any yeah, of them? Yeah,
2: I really loved. I loved all of them. I really did liked you? *The Giver* and *To Kill a Mockingbird* and *Animal Farm*. I liked them all. Yeah. How about *Lord
1: of the Flies*? I was did a you
2: huge read reader when I was growing up. No, yeah. we didn't read *Lord of the Flies*.
1: Um, have you ever read it?
2: No. No, it's really
1: heard. good. I think you'd like it, Esmeralda. It's a really great book. That's one of those books that, like, when you're assigned to read it, you're like, ah, fuck, and then it's homework. Mm-hmm. And that's how I felt when I, when I read Catcher in the Rye. It was like, oh, it's homework. And the Catcher in the Rye is, you know, um, it's my favorite book of all time. <laughs> it's my favorite book of all time. And, you know, it helps, like, if you're a teenage boy and you read Catcher in the Rye. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Like, like,
2: I, I read it as an adult. Yeah. And I, I just yep. kind yep. of nope he's a little asshole I
1: absolutely I totally understand fuck Holden Caulfield I I totally understand that but when you're like a like I think I was 13 when I read Catcher in the Rye and it was like life-changing and I think for a lot of 13 year old boys despite the fact that the kid is a psycho despite the fact that yeah but sometimes when you're assigned a book you like it you know um there was do you read Gatsby
2: uh yes, 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 we read The Great Gatsby.
1: Mhm. Um I'm trying to think of some of the others. Some some Twain, did you read any like Huckleberry Finn or, or um
2: Um I don't think I don't remember reading it. I had read it on my own. I had these growing up I had these books that were called uh, Children's Illustrated Classics.
1: Oh, those are great. And,
2: yeah. Yeah, and one of them in the collection that I had was um I think it was Huck Finn.
1: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm yeah those I remember those and then you like those were kind of they were um what what's the word I'm looking for they edited but they were like um
2: yeah yeah they were like instance, shortened they had um drawings in them as well
1: yeah those are cool I used to love those when I was a kid and then that inspired you to go and read the actual stories go and read the actual books um did you have to read any Dickens
2: when you were when you were in school no no, it's no. so like
1: no great expectations or anything like that.
2: No, 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 no.
1: Um, Dickens was a bit of a chore when I was a kid. I remember going, oh man, <laughs> <laughs> man I don't know about this. But yeah, Catcher in the Rye, I really loved uh, when I was assigned. I liked most of them actually. Treasure Island. I remember reading Treasure yeah. Island when I was a kid too. Robert Louis Stevenson. He also wrote Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Uh, so I, I always kind of liked him. Um, but Yeah uh so yeah book reports man oh man i remember i used to love writing book reports i don't know
2: all I right i did I did. no I, re- <laughs> I was
1: a i was a voracious reader when i was a kid i don't know what happened i've gotten so much dumber
2: no i liked i love i loved reading didn't yeah. want to write about it again but
1: <laughs> yeah um i led the i led my class in eighth grade in book reports and I got like oh, a wow. gold, I got all the gold stars and shit all over the place. I, re- I read constantly. And, as a, and I'll never forget this because my teacher, my eighth grade teacher, was a, uh, Mrs. Mrs. Nagel was her name. Mm-hmm. And because I by far uh, had the most book reports of the class, she gave me a book. When I graduated eighth grade, when I was going to the high school, she gave me a book. And it was a book that kind of changed my life. It's one of my favorite books of all time. And it's called The Chocolate War um, by Robert Cormier. Um, he also the author of I am the cheese, um, and chocolate war is a young adult novel. Um, mm-hmm. and I read it and it was a game changer for me because it taught me, I'll tell you something. It taught me to be cynical <laughs> and, uh, and to question authority. Like I read that book and I was like, you know what, maybe my parents and teachers and everybody, maybe they're full of shit. That's what that book <laughs> taught me. And I, I'm forever grateful to Mrs. Nagel. Miss Nagel, I'm forever grateful because it's like maybe my favorite. It's, I mean, catch her in the eye, but like, like Chocolate War was a book that changed my life. Like it literally, like, I, I, I began to question authority when I read that book um, and become cynical. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing or what, but have you ever heard of the right.
2: Chocolate War? I have not.
1: It's a terrific book. It's a great, great book. And I think sometimes that gets assigned you know uh, in certain you know schools over the years it's been assigned it's kind of a radical book like it mm-hmm. was written it was written during Watergate and it's about um a bunch of kids who are forced to sell chocolates in a Catholic school um and about the rebellion that takes place within the students against selling these chocolates and going against the authority of the school um, mm-hmm. fantastic and and they made a movie out of it uh actually actor Keith Gordon directed it and uh the lead was the guy from. You've seen Weird Science, right?
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. The
1: other guy, not Anthony Michael Hall. The other guy. You know, the other guy from Weird oh,
2: Science. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he
1: he plays Jerry Renault. He plays the lead in um, in Chocolate War. Um, so, and I saw that movie when I was like, I saw the movie version of it when I was in my l- early thirties, I think. And I was very mm-hmm. disappointed. I was very disappointed by because they changed the ending. But yeah, book reports and but that was a Chocolate War. You should check that book out. I think you might like it. It's a it's a it's a very it's an interesting book and it and it felt like the times because like I said, it was written like right around Watergate when everybody was like questioning authority, like what the fuck is going on with our mm-hmm. president, you know and 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 he and, and Robert Cormier was a very radical kind of a dude, so he writes this book aimed at like you know twelve to fifteen year olds. To teach them how yeah, to question yeah. authority and become cynical, and I'm forever grateful. Because, <laughs> you know, when you're a kid, everything your parents say and everything teachers say, it's, it's, you know, it's the truth. You know, you go, yeah, that's right. If a parent, if my parent says it,
2: mm-hmm. it's got
1: yeah. to gotta be, gotta be true. And then I read The Chocolate War, and I was like, nah, fuck you guys. <laughs> I don't think so. So, anyway. Anyway, Chocolate War. How did we get out? Of- oh, because James Joyce. So... So, do you see the next one, Esmeralda? That's on the, that's in the article, after the James Joyce one, which yeah, <laughs> you want to read this one? This, this one I find very amusing. I think.
2: So, I guess Shia LaBeouf. I don't know what he. Well, I, I'm, I'm a little not sure what he's responding to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, might... So it's a tweet that Shia LaBeouf says, "You have my apologies." for offending you for thinking I was being serious instead of accurately realizing I was mocking you. And Patton Oswald um, then responds to him, which I'm like, are you respond? Did he, my guess is to that you or are you just saying something? To my him? guess is
1: my guess is that, sh- that, uh, Patton Oswald said something about Shia LaBeouf. And that was Shia LaBeouf's uh,
2: response. Right. And then, it and says, then, dear Shia LaBeouf, yeah. if you're going to be that dumb, delusional, and boring when you speak, just go ahead and plagiarize. <laughs> wow. I
1: love that. I think that's funny. I think that's very funny. I love that in the article that we're looking at, that they have like the the character that from Ratatouille that Patton Oswald provided the voice. Like it was the character from Ratatouille who said that.
2: <laughs> right. <laughs>
1: You know, in, in, in uh, Patton Oswalt, do you follow Pat Oswald on, on the X or on, on any of those um, social media? No, I
2: don't. I don't have Twitter.
1: Yeah, he's uh, he's inter- He's he's fun. He's fun to follow, as you would know. I mean, Pat Oswald's great. You know, uh, he's very funny. Um, but one of the things that he wrote was like somebody I think it was like Joe Rogan or one of those dickheads, you know, like in that Joe Rogan camp. Mm-hmm. Uh, said something about how stupid and bad Patton Oswald was. And they posted it. They were like, Patton Oswalt, not funny. He's a hack comedian, blah, blah, blah. Like really ripping him apart as a comedian and blah, blah, blah. No talent, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And, uh, and then uh, his response was uh, what they posted to, what they posted because they posted a picture too. And, and Patton Oswalt's response was, hey, if you're going to post, you know, I'm, I, it's fine. If you want to post like uh, the fact that I have no talent and you're slamming me and I'm terrible, you might want not, not want to use the picture where I won an Emmy for my comedy
2: might <laughs> cuz that's a nice
1: that's the picture that they that's the picture that they used so. uh, no. now here's a good one Esmeralda. you ready for this one
2: mhm uh
1: this is from uh, kevin smith now kevin smith as you know is a smart ass oh yeah and is not you know shy about saying stuff i i remember when he worked with bruce willis on that
2: uh what the fuck was
1: the name? Cop rent? Not no. It was him and he he directed it, and it was it was, uh, oh shit. It was Bruce Willis and and uh, and and Tracy Morgan. It was like cop. Oh, something. yeah, cop something. cop yeah. re- is it Rent a Cop? Um, no, Rent a Cop was Burt, Burt Reynolds from the eighties. That was a terrible movie. But no, Burt, yeah, no. Cop and um, a half? No, cop and a half. Wait, rent. Maybe it was Rent a Cop.
2: No, cop. I believe Cop and a Half is. That movie, I don't know Burt who Reynolds. it is, but he's got that little
1: kid. Yeah, it's Burt Reynolds. It's Burt Reynolds. That's Cop and a Half with Burt Reynolds. The little African American right. kid is his, is his uh, partner. Yeah, but maybe it's Rent a Cop. Maybe it's Rent a Cop. Uh, Bruce Willis and Tracy Morgan. Cop uh, out. Cop. That's it. Cop out. What the fuck was Rent a Cop? Now I'm now I'm trying to figure out what Rent a Cop was because Rent a Cop was a movie too. But when when uh, Kevin Smith made Cop Out. Bruce Willis talked a bunch of shit about it, like I was where he was the worst director I've ever worked with, and blah blah blah. And I remember, you know, during those college tours that Kevin Smith does when he does those talks, mm-hmm. um, he had an extensive amount of time dedicated to what a pain in the ass it was working with with Bruce Willis on uh, on Countdown. Oh wow! So he's not shy. So, but Rent a Cop. Now I'm now I'm trying to figure out what Rent a Cop is. Damn
2: it. Um, it's a movie with uh, Burt Reynolds and oh, it's Bert- Eliza okay. Minnelli.
1: Oh, that's okay. So Burt Reynolds was in Cop and a Half and Rent a Cop. Okay. <laughs> right.
2: That's why You're I got on the confused. Way. You're on the same path. That's yeah. why
1: I got confused because Burt Reynolds is in both of them. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, this is uh, something that Kevin Smith said. Upon seeing Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes, Kevin Smith pointed out that the ending of the movie seemed to come straight out of a of a comic that he wrote. And in response, Tim Burton said, Anyone who knows me, uh, knows that I would never read a comic. And then Kevin Smith responds, Well that explains fucking Batman.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> Although I like his Batman, but yeah.
2: Yeah. Those are yeah. one of my favorites.
1: No, those but I think Batman Returns, uh you know, that second one with um Danny DeVito as the penguin and Christopher Walken and mm-hmm. oh, Michelle. Yeah. Pa- Michelle Pfeiffer's is the best catwoman ever. That was my favorite really? Batman movie until the one from two years ago with uh, Robert Pattinson. Now it's my favorite Batman movie, but, mm-hmm. but but so much better than those Christopher Nolan movies. They're like a thousand times better than the Christopher Nolan movies. So but anyway, smart ass. Now it, now now I'm 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 kind of like interested uh, to see Cop and a Half with Liza Manel. <laughs> no,
2: cop rent a cop.
1: Co- rent a cop right okay cop and a half is is him and the kid right
2: yeah. and one of
1: them okay as you gotta let me know because you looked them up one of them's directed by henry winkler uh, uh and i think it's cop and a half um, i think it's the one with the kid i and, <laughs> i'm pretty sure <laughs> one of them is directed by henry winkler because i remember like going the fonds directed this what is this but yeah uh i think it and i think it's cop and a half uh
2: yes you yeah. are correct there we
1: go henry winkler the fantastic directorial work of Henry Winkler. Oh, my God. You ever see any of those movies?
2: I have not seen Cop and a Half. No. Yeah. yeah no. I, it's, I bet you can find
1: it on your Tubies or your yoo or whatever. I'm sure.
2: The, I'm sure it is.
1: I'm sure there's an entire <laughs> channel dedicated to shitty Burt Reynolds movies because he's made a lot of them, especially in the 80s. Oh, my God. Did he make bad movies in the 80s? Holy crap. So, Anyway. All right, those are some witty retorts. All right, Esmeralda, you got three snacks from Spain. Yes. Let's check them out. So what do you want to try first? Because you've got coconut cream cookies, you've got white chocolate with caramel, and you've got a chocolate bar with peanut and cocoa uh, cream. So
2: uh, so I'm going to try these candies. So they're just coated. I'm assuming it's a caramel coating. Okay. Whoops. Um, and then inside, it's white chocolate. But they okay. look like they don't look like Werthers. They look like big M and M's.
1: Big M and M's. Okay. And and remember to take a picture yeah. of the package. Remember that take a picture of the package. Yeah. so I can I can share it on my social so people can check it out. So the outer right.
2: layer looks like on the on the actual packaging they look like Werthers. So okay. <laughs> all right. But, but uh, not- actually, they look like giant M and M's.
1: Okay. So giant M and M's. And here's the white chocolate caramel. Here we go.
2: Oh. Mm. That's nice. Is it? Yeah. So yeah, just white chocolate and then yeah, car- it's is caramel. Caramel. The the, the 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 combination is quite nice. Very cool. Mm. Okay, so a, th- a thumbs delicious. up.
1: A thumbs up for the first snack. Mhm. All right. Cool. Very very cool. All right. All let's right.
2: try this candy bar. So and this is this is peanut butter?
1: And chocolate cocoa cocoa cream
2: cocoa cream.
1: And again, these snacks, by the way, are from uh, from Spain. Spain sent to us courtesy of the fantastic uh, monthly candy and snack uh, uh, deliveries from Universal Yums, which you should all check out. So, what do you think? Oh, um,
2: that's okay. It's so it's it looks like a candy bar, and then it's like a rice crispy kind of layer. Mm, okay. and then in the middle it's like yeah it's peanut and peanut and cocoa i okay. wouldn't say peanut butter it tastes like straight up peanut like a peanut
1: oh is it crunchy
2: um just the crispy bit but just crispy. the okay. middle is cream okay
1: hmm it sounds good yeah it's
2: all cream yeah mm, all right the rice crispy bit is but there's no everything else is the the center is cream okay
1: and a thumbs up for that too
2: Yeah, it's not bad. Not bad. Okay. I'm not the biggest peanut fan, but... Okay. All
1: right. At least you don't have an allergy. You're not going to... Your lips aren't going to blow up or anything, right? No. The cream
2: of chocolate... The the chocolate cream kind of offsets the peanut. It's nice. Cool. All right. And then the last is coconut cream
1: cookies, right? You've been saving these for last. Yes. So this is the last snack from Spain, coconut cream cookies, right?
2: Yes. So these are... From the same from the same people who brought cookies with the lemon cream. Oh, and you liked those. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is the same thing, except it's coconut cream inside. It's kind of broken up. Oh god. Uh oh. You all right? There's. It just. There's all broken. Hmm. How's that? Mm. Yeah, it's nice. Oh wow. Yeah. It's very coconut. Very coconutty. Like like fresh coconut.
1: Ooh. Okay. It
2: doesn't taste Yeah, it doesn't taste like fake coconut flavor. That's it, nice. These are lovely. Wow.
1: And you like so this is the same brand, the same company that did the lemon cream cookies that you tried a few, mm-hmm. a, few a few episodes ago. So Right. Although so, those
2: were crispier, I feel.
1: Okay. But this this company that does these cookies, right on, good, Still delicious, delicious. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right, cool. Still well, good. for the most part, the snacks uh, in the Universal Yums Spain box were good, right? For the most part.
2: Hmm. All right. Awesome. Um, yeah, there wasn't one that I hated. Okay. They were all quite delicious mm-hmm. in their own right. Cool. That's awesome.
1: Okay. Well, we'll take a tour. We'll start. We'll start our tour of Poland on the next episode. Yes, Um, uh, yes, Poland is next. Poland is next. So we will conquer Poland. Oh, boy, that sounds bad. We will not conquer (laughs) Poland. We will will not conquer Poland. I apologize for that. We will take a tour through the snack world of Poland is what we're going to do. Yes, Uh, yes. And uh, so there you go. And Universal Yums is the name if you want to check out the website. Really cool stuff. So there you go. All right, cool. Hey, by the way, you know who's on the next episode? The, the The lovely Amy Guth will be on. Oh, we we'll to nice. talk about uh, her movie-making stuff that's happening in L.A. and, uh, of course, the Crane's Business Daily Gist podcast and much, much more. So Amy Guth will be there. My thanks to Dan Feinberg from The Hollywood Reporter and The Fine Print to talk TV. We appreciate that. My thanks, Esmeralda, you rule the planet, as always.
2: Oh, thank you. Um,
1: and thanks for checking out those snacks from Spain. We'll do that all again on the next episode. Hey, you want to be a sponsor? Advertise with us on the Nick D Podcast. A lot of people listen to this podcast. You should check it out. Drop us a note and say, I would like to advertise. Sales at radiomisfits.com. Leave us a voicemail message 24-7, anytime you want, anything you want to say. 773-417-6948. Email us, nickdpodcasts at gmail.com. Jason Skaggs does all the music and the sound. Take the time to please share, rate, and review with us. We're available on every platform. Ed and everybody at Radio Misfits, thank you very much, and we will see you next time on the Nick D Podcast.
2: The wind is right on-